Good afternoon. It is currently 2.34 p.m. on a Sunday DC day. I am the constant host of the Eurasia Center Wantcast, Casey Chambers, joined by Noah. Hello, everyone. As well as uh, Cole. Thank you for being here. Hey, y'all. So uh, we recently had an episode about the... Uh, two major diplomatic engagements uh, in June, which were the G7 summit as well as the uh, NATO summit. And President Biden, having a, a busy diplomatic schedule in Europe uh, on his away trip, had one more that we didn't discuss, which was his one-on-one, uh, highly uh, dramatic, highly important uh, one, uh, summit with uh, Vladimir Putin of Russia. Uh, the Via Lagrange in Geneva, Switzerland, where the all the trappings of very high-level diplomacy, the the city was shut down, Russian American flags everywhere, and a one-on-one meeting with just Putin, Biden, their translators, and their respective foreign uh, ministers, and that was it. About a three-hour total discussion between the two of them. There were two sessions where. Uh, more aides and <clears throat> advisors came in for the second session, but high-level high uh, diplomacy between, as Biden noted, two nuclear superpowers, uh, Biden uh, elevating Putin to a level uh, that his, his predecessors, maybe not so much so Donald Trump, but uh, Barack Obama famously referred to Russia as a regional power. Uh, Biden acknowledged the importance of Russia on the international stage. So that was the summit. And now our our job and task is to discuss what was said, what was not said, who came away a a winner, who came away a loser, and what the future path is for Russian-American relations. Yeah, there was a it wasn't quite as um, you know, showy as older press conferences and things such as under the Trump administration. It was kind of a return to normal normalcy, I thought, of almost a kind of a detente kind of thing where both sides respected each other but weren't really friendly with each other. Both came off, I think, well with what they wanted. Um, I think Biden probably came off a little bit better because he took a bit of a hardline stance against uh, Russia, but not nothing over the top uh, antagonistic either, which I think helps Putin um, in that Putin is no longer having to sort of defend himself. Or at least he doesn't perceive that he has to defend himself in the same way he might have under more harsh rhetoric. There was certainly a, a return to normalcy um, about the engagement. There was you know, no no shocking changes of, of policy or statements on either side. The uh, Trump-Putin uh, Helsinki summit was roundly criticized of both Democrats and Republicans as an almost embarrassing show of uh, American diplomacy. The uh, goals going into the summit were muted. Neither side expected any large uh, developments. Indeed, the only significant uh, piece to come out of the summit was that uh, the ambassadors would be reinstated. So just a simple return to diplomatic engagement. Uh, Biden did come in buoyed by 
support from NATO and G7 allies, which had been strained under the Trump administration. But there were still concerns about whether the summit should have even taken place. Yeah, I know that is a big critique going around. Um, I did see an article uh, from The Hill that was basically headlined that Biden lost just by showing up. So you definitely have that critique going around too, that should he have even given Putin the time of day. And it brings up a good point, I guess. And But I do think it was very diplomatic. And I have actually a quote here from Putin where he says that I think both sides manifested a determination to try and understand each other and try and converge our positions. So I do think that it could have gone a lot worse. So I think that's a win. And these were positions that were decidedly at odds. Um, Vladimir Putin denying uh, significant American concerns like the takeover of Crimea, he positioned it as Russian protection of an autonomous uh, region that wanted to get away from Ukraine, uh, denying, uh, as always, uh, cyber attacks, misinformation against American elections, European elections. Uh, there were multiple high profile uh, attacks, including the uh, cyber attack on Colonial Pipeline. So with both sides at such loggerheads, there were only very small windows of cooperation. For example, the extension of the New START Treaty. And was it necessary for Biden to come to Geneva and meet with Vladimir Putin when there wasn't much to be had out of it besides you know, Biden looking Putin in the face and saying, delivering a message personally? Because Russia does have a failing economy increasing uh, uh, domestic uh, opposition to Putin, uh, Alexei Navalny being a, a, a figure bearer there. So what, what did the US get out of coming into the summit with you know, a decidedly strong hand, but Russia also not having much to bring and not, you know, there were no preconditions, it was just a discussion. I think it was just a political sort of show. Um, obviously in the United States for the past few years, Russia has been featured heavily in espionage claims, you know, meddling in the elections, uh, cyber attacks, that sort of thing. So going somewhere and confronting, even if it wasn't really a confrontation, just talking to the leader of Russia provides some political um, ammunition or defense or armor against uh, claims that he's too soft, that Biden's too soft on Russia, or that the United States has gone soft. I think that's all it really is, is just a kind of a traditional show of um, willingness to discuss, but also stand up for yourselves. Uh, nothing serious, but at the same time, it, I think it has some political capital to it. Yeah, the uh, point that Cole made about uh, Biden's critique being that he's going soft uh, soft on Russia or whatever, I think it is it made a good political stand that he was willing to go and meet with him face to face. And even if it was just a political show, it does show that he is showing some sort of diplomacy towards 
Russia and Putin. And I think that it does show that maybe relationships can improve, probably not, but I think it has some sort of say in that, hey, he went and did this, so. As to whether the relationship can improve, I think the uh, the much lauded uh, Russian reset that has been sought by how many American presidents at this point with with Vladimir Putin? <laughs> uh, they every every four years or so, there 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 seems to be an attempt to uh, get new diplomatic ground, and is is always you know quickly caught in the mire. But I do think it is likely that maybe some of the more malign actions will be reduced um, by noting that the the U.S. has considerable um, capacity in the cyberspace and hand-delivering to Putin a list of 16 sectors that are off-limits to to Russian malign activity. But it, it did it did seem like the, the summit was simply an attempt to stabilize a spiraling relationship rather than to establish anything solid moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I agree that it seemed like it was a, an attempt to stabilize. And Putin obviously is a former KGB officer. He grew up during the Cold War. For Putin, the U.S. has always been the enemy. And for the U.S., Russia has been the enemy for going on a century now. Um, I don't think that relations will really ever will warm, at least in the near term. Um, when it comes to cyber issues, I think that they're both, both the US and Russia are playing a bit of a dangerous game there because it's hard to control a, you know, a cyber attack. Obviously, cyber attacks, you can target certain things, but the fallout from those things can cause all sorts of issues. For example, shutting down a gas pipeline caused fuel shortages, could have it impacted the economy, it could have impacted healthcare, it could have caused a lot more issues. And obviously we've seen the US use um, cyber warfare and things like Stuxnet against the Iranians, or at least alleged US involvement in that. But I think that both of them are, I think both countries starting to get a little too close to the, to the abyss when it comes to, so to say, uh, tit for tats, sort of uh, cyber attacks against each other. And Biden really did point that out to Putin that while officially the, the colonial pipeline hack was done through a Russian gang, Russia seems hesitant to uh, clamp down heavily on cyber activities within Russia and the, the, the targeting of uh, essential energy and uh, transportation infrastructure was really crossing a red line that so far has seen muted response. I would have actually expected a, a more active uh, American response to that level of, you know, gas panic, prices soaring more than a dollar a gallon, significant uh, uh, distribution concerns. I remember at one point in DC, DC itself here, more than 90% of gas stations were fully empty. There was just no gas to give out. Reminiscent, of course, of the uh, most recent uh, gas panic in America, which was the, the 1973 uh, oil embargo. So, and, and Biden pointed out to Putin, he, he said, how, how would you feel if 
Russian energy infrastructure was, was targeted in such a manner like this. Uh, Putin didn't seem to have a, a particularly strong or coherent answer, but maybe they had a, a different uh, discussion in the, in the private format. Uh, Putin, of course, uh, in, the, in the public diplomacy around the spectacle, was able to elevate his position you know, to the, to the top of the world stage, uh, said uh, Gary Kasparov, a, a notable Russian dissident, uh, who, who was against the, the summit itself, saying that Putin would use the opportunity to spar with reporters, which of course he did. Um, Putin finds it quite amusing to, to nibble and poke at, at Western press, uh, pretending on, on certain occasions to not understand a journalist's question uh, even going so far as to, to make the laughable claim that Alexei Navalny had in, intentionally violated Russian law while being emergency transported to Germany uh, after nearly dying from a, a poisoning uh, attempt that Western intelligence agencies and largely the whole world assumes was from Putin's government himself. Yeah, Russian action, especially with the press, uh, always interesting. Um, Putin, to me, seems to, I don't think he really did at this press conference, but in general, Putin has been a sort of a big proponent of the sort of whataboutism coined by the Soviets back in the day. Um, a very big proponent of that. And I think that going forward, we might see something similar with anytime Biden tries to threaten cyber attacks or uses a cyber attack in the future or any kind of U.S. response to um, increased so uh, sorry Soviet Russian um, advancements in their nuclear arsenal and nuclear capabilities. Um, obviously, any if Russia does that, then the U.S. will have to respond in some way, which then gives Putin ammunition to say, well, what about the U.S. advancing their missile defense systems or something like that, which is the U.S. is still uh, advancing those. So Putin is a very difficult character to kind of corner. And I think that kind of comes from his experiences from the Cold War and having to play off those kinds of concerns and questions for however many decades he's been either directly in power or kind of a, a shadow president. Well, of course, there is referring to the period where Dmitry Medvedev was the essential president of Russia and Vladimir Putin was the prime minister. However, uh, in that, that four-year period, everyone knew that Putin was really the one in charge. So let's get into a discussion about winners and losers. Do we think that uh, on the on on the balance of going in and, and going out that any side gained a decisive advantage over the other. I don't necessarily think anyone gained an advantage. It's not like they went in with anything major. They just were having this discussion. I think Biden really wanted to uh, lay down on the cyber war and the cyber attacks. I think that was his main purpose in going in. And I think just him even saying that and bringing it up in this discussion was good for him and uh, a win on his side. But overall, I don't know if they really came out with anything 
I don't know if either side came out with anything more than that they went in with. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the press that was going to praise Biden either way, praise Biden either way, and then the press that was going to criticize Biden either way, criticized Biden either way. And then any action by Putin was criticized by Western media. And then I'm sure in Russia it was that praised Putin's, they may have praised Putin's you know, composure or something. I haven't, I haven't personally seen that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of thing occurred in, in Russia. Um, but I think they really walked away kind of the way they came in. And that, that I think is an accurate characterization of what the event was. Both, both parties had goals going in, and I think actually uh, disparate goals. Russia, you know, has certainly had no intention of, and I don't think the Americans really did either, of changing any status quo on Ukraine or uh, meaningful nuclear weapons uh, mitigation. Uh, it's certainly the, the cyberspace. Russia pro will probably continue uh, to engage in the way it has, maybe with the exception of those 16 industries that Biden has listed. But on, you know, it, it's Syria as well. There, there's not any large changes in this relationship. But Biden was able to get his win on, you know, laying down the law and saying that this is the line, go no further. It will remain to be seen whether Russia got the message um, and whether or not in the in the private session uh, Biden was more explicit about threats and responses. Uh, there was that strategic dialogue, which is probably beneficial for just stabilizing the relationship generally, especially among, among tactical and cyber concerns. Uh, so, so Biden got that you know, in-person meeting he wanted to you know, puff, puff out his chest as the American president. And Putin got the high diplomacy, having his face you know, played across TV screens around the entire world. To, to share the Russian opinion there. There is no higher level of diplomatic event at this point than a meeting with the American president. I mean, that, that, that is really is, as far as it goes. As was pointed out by many pundits, Kasparov in that opinion piece he wrote in the Washington Post. And that, that really does describe it, the, you know, maintaining the course, but with, with slight adjustment. Yeah, I think that there was one slight misstep or potential misstep um, on the part of Biden in his his rhetoric against Russia. He used obviously the terminology for a red line, you know, don't cross the red line, otherwise things will happen. I think the problem he faces with that is that his language reminiscent of uh, Obama's red line in Syria. And as you know, with that, um, nothing came of that. It became an empty threat to Russia's ally, and uh, and Biden has kind of pushed this idea that this is a return to some sort of Obama's term in office. So I think Biden is kind of sort of backed himself in a little bit of a corner there. If he if Russia tests the waters, he has to respond with extreme force, which would make him a bit of a, a warmonger that you know Republicans can then charge against him with, or he doesn't do anything, and it seemed to a return to U.S. potential image of uh, being timid. 
or not willing to stand up for the rights of people being abused by um, their governments or by foreign powers. So I think that's something that has to be wait. We have to wait to see how that plays out. But I think the language is a little close to Biden's immediate to Biden's predecessor um, to kind of pass off as nothing at all. It should also be noted that within Biden's own party, the, the progressive wing is averse to America continuing to play the role of the world police, highly engaged on the world stage, especially when it comes to, to military and uh, tactical matters. I, um, as NATO noted um, a couple days prior, I think it's at this point safe to include the cyberspace in, you know, as a new vector of combat. And, you know, if Biden were to be forced to take a, a, a strict response because of these red lines he's laid out, it's a, it is a damned if you do, damned if you don't, because there, there's no response that will appease everyone. And if things were to go poorly, um, you know, the, it might truly be Russia's, you know, responsibility or fault, but that's, that's not what international relations is about. And he'd then be forced to, to make some difficult decisions. Yeah, those, those areas with Russia um, and the cyber realm, I think also gets into an issue of that very ease of plausible deniability. So instead of sending, you know, proxy forces to, let's say, the Democratic Republic of Congo or Angola or some other far off battlefield to push your interests, you can just have uh, an alleged gang of some sort attacking the other country and no one can quite, you know, say for sure who it was. There's always that element of deniability that I think NATO might struggle with to respond to because they don't want to spark an all-out war with the Russians, but they also don't want to just stand back and let nothing happen. Absolutely. And conversely, the other danger of cyber that I, I think you alluded to earlier, Cole, is that it's not, you know, positioning in Syria or Libya or the, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, as you noted, who whose militia is gaining a decisive advantage on the ground. You know, in, in this instance, it was the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. If, if you were a member of Congress trying to go fill up your uh, car with gas, you had extreme difficulty at the, at the height of the, the gas shortage. And furthermore, it's easy for the U.S. to Biden, you know, quite quite openly said we have a large cyber arsenal and if we ever chose to use it, it could cause real damage and it is it is possible to go uh, too far and to, to start something that can't be stopped yeah this time it was just uh, you know a gas pipeline but <clears throat> excuse me swallowed some water wrong um, yeah this time it was a, a pipeline Next time it could be, you know, water sanitation or a nuclear plant. Um, even if a nuclear plant doesn't, you know, shut down, that's still a lot of power lost. And, you know, just I had my power out for like only five days in Texas. And I knew people who were starting to get a little low on food. If you knock out something that major for an extended period of time, 
people are going to start to suffer and the country is going to start to suffer as a whole as a result of even something, even a single target like that. Or even the holy grail of the American government itself. Uh, I mean, China had uh, infiltrated the Office of Personnel and Management uh, files on up to 20 million American government employees, um, which, which was a relatively benevolent attack. It was, it was information, not damaging. But let's say, for example, that on an election night, you decided to go after uh, voter counts or records or something of that nature. I mean, in, in 2020, we saw a significant contestation as to the validity of election results in the absence of an international actor intentionally trying to make uh, determining a, a, a winner uh, difficult to do. What, what would that look like if truly there was just a wrench thrown in the whole system? Yeah, the U.S., any liberal democracy is really only as strong as its election system is. And obviously, if you attack the Russian election, election system in retaliation, nothing happens. Putin still, you know, maybe pushes the ballots for his favor and wins either way. In the U.S. or uh, the European ally, that gets a lot more messy and the democracy kind of starts to collapse. I, I think you one or two attacks, the country will survive. But if it keeps happening every single time, then the government loses its mandate and the, the republic may be false. Maybe that's a bit extreme, but um, it certainly will be a lot weaker. Well, as we discuss potentially the maintenance of the status quo, hopefully we aren't talking about the fall of the American Republic. Which brings us to the strategic dialogue where Biden and Putin, Putin both said that at levels uh, across both governments, um, certainly coronavirus being an uh, area where there might be legitimate uh, concern from both sides of, of trying to engage and cooperate, that e even on the thornier subjects, they'll be trying to you know, create rules in the road. Is that something that we think in the next couple of months will yield results, even if this summit was more muted? I think so. Um, in the one area where they seem to have come to a, an agreement on or understanding on is in the Arctic Circle, obviously with global warming things and other climate uh, issues. The Arctic Circle is becoming more navigable for ships and trade. So obviously the U.S., Canada, and Russia, and Denmark to an extent have sort of monopoly on that trade route. So the cooperation between the U.S. and Russia is a very big step in ensuring stability and a brand new sort of trade route, which could stabilize both uh, economies. Sure. I mean, there are the U.S. and Russia may as, as much as they want uh, to stay away from each other. When, when you have countries that have such 
certainly the U.S., Russia more debatable, but having having global reach, the the individual interest overlaps, and that's that's why even if it doesn't have to be an in-person summit uh, in, in the way that this happened, there, there still needs to be some form of engagement. And the, the, the leader the leader contacts may uh, give uh, give aid to you know for, further discussion down the line. I would be highly surprised if there's you know, a, a large change in status at, at some point down the line. Ukraine may join NATO, which will uh, upset the relationship, I'm sure. But that that was the the Biden Putin summit. No no real winners, no real losers, uh, except for maybe the the Swiss who got to play host to uh, such a high level event. So uh, Noah, do you have any any final ideas? Yeah, I just think that this uh, summit in Geneva was something that definitely had a lot of diplomatic significance. These two countries, nations that have had um, tense background and definitely Biden hit on the um, the cyber attacks and all that. And I think it's something like a stand, a cyber standoff right now, a little bit less disastrous. Uh, comparison to the Soviet US uh, nuclear standoff during the Cold War. Now it's like, who is anyone gonna use their, uh, their cyber attacks or not? And I think that was Biden's big takeaway and what he wanted to bring up and he did that. So I think that this will definitely have a, I think it will definitely mean something in the future, but it was, it was a good thing for both of them. So, Casey, um, if you have anything left to say, uh, as to the the summit, I think we've covered it very well. But I'd just like to thank listeners who made it all the way to <laughs> the end of the episode. Uh, we we appreciate you all, uh, and to wherever you're listening, have a good afternoon, good morning, good evening, or good night. Thank you.